Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, you know, we humans are curious creatures. Have you ever noticed that? That we like to understand how things work. We, we like to understand why things are broken, too, when they're broken. Have you ever noticed that? Um, and we're especially drawn to understanding why do people fail. We like to go, what happened in this situation? How many of you guys have ever had something, someone... A, a testimony told about somebody, and you're like, what happened, right? We want to know what happened. If you don't believe that we're curious about this, just go to the supermarket and go to the checkout aisle. Because on the racks there, there are tons of tabloid magazines with headlines talking about the failures of politicians and celebrities. Now, I want you to know, I would personally, I would never personally use my money to purchase that type of uh, magazine. It's, it's something that I would never do. That's why I read so fast when I'm going through the checkout line, because I'm not going to spend my money on it. But, <laughs> but, you know, seriously, have you ever thought about the brokenness that is in our world? Because that is what those magazines are selling, isn't it? That's what makes the, the headlines in the news, isn't it? It's, it's brokenness that makes the headlines. It's death. It's sorrow. It's scandals. And there's something in us that wants to hear about it. But my question this morning is this. Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much brokenness in our world? I think that's a question that many people are asking. And many people want to know the answer. Because, you know, we've been talking about the book of Genesis for the past three weeks. In chapters 1 and 2, we learned that when God created everything, he created it perfectly. Even humans, he, he created us perfectly. And I know that there's something in every, inside of every one of us that longs for that perfection to come back, isn't there? That's why we go on vacations, to try to get away from it all, if we're able to. We want to get rid of the evil. We want to get rid of the death. We don't want there to be suffering and injustice, that there wouldn't be conflict. We long for paradise. And according to Genesis 1 and 2, just like I just said, it, it existed at one point, but something happened. What happened? What happened in the beginning? And you know, that's what our passage this morning answers. What happened to change perfection? and to bring death into this world. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. In verse 1, for the first time, we're going to be introduced to the serpent. Now, the question that comes to mind is this. Who is the serpent, and what is he doing in the garden? And Scripture answers this 
in bits and pieces. And in Revelation 12, we read, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Here it is, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we see from Revelation 12 that the ancient serpent, the serpent found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, is none other than the devil, which means slanderer. That's what devil means. And Satan, which means accuser. Satan is a slanderer. He is an accuser. And he is a deceiver of the whole world. That word deceive means to cause to wander off the path. He's the deceiver of mankind. And some of the scholars would ask, well, what was the serpent? Who, who, was it just a, a beast from the field? Some would say, yes, it was a beast from the field that Satan actually possessed and spoke through. Kind of like in John, the book of John and, and the Gospels where it talks about um, Judas, Satan entering into Judas. Some would say that that's what happened in the garden, while others would argue that it is not a beast of the field, but rather an, ange- an angelic spiritual being, that it's actually Satan himself. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure which one it is because I wasn't there, okay? Scripture is not very clear on that, but what it is clear on, and that's what we need to focus on when we're reading the Bible, what it is clear is that the serpent was evil, the serpent was evil. In Matthew 13, 19, Jesus calls the serpent the evil one. And in John 8, 44, it says he was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he's a liar. He speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is also known as the God of this world. He's bent on leading mankind away from God into destruction. And so you, you might be asking, well, God created everything perfectly in the beginning, and Satan was a created creature. We need to understand that, and he was created perfectly. And the question you might be asking is, so what, how, how, did, he, how did he become evil? Kind of like, you know, um, Darth Vader, Put that in Google. Not right now, but put that in Google. How did Darth Vader become evil? People want to know that. How did he become evil? And and a lot of people want to know, where did that original sin come from? And you know what? Scripture doesn't tell us. And what does that teach us? If Scripture doesn't tell us something, it teaches us that God is saying, that's not necessary for you to know right now. And so, but what we do know we are given some clues about him, and they're found in Jude chapter uh, Jude verses 5 and 6. It says, And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, 
but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. It appears that in the beginning that Satan, whose name was originally Lucifer, and that Lucifer means to be a light bearer, it appears that he was a created being who was given this high position of authority by God to rule amongst the heavenly host. But apparently, the position that God had given him was not high enough. And it says that he desired more than just to be where God had put him, and his heart was filled with pride and rebellion against the Creator. Isaiah 14 speaks to this and reveals the heart of Satan, verses 13 through 14. This is what the heart of Satan said. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That is the heart cry of Satan, and that is the heart cry of anyone who is following after the evil one. I will make myself like the Most High. And this happened because Satan was not content with the position that God had assigned him. In his mind, he must have thought he deserved better. And so he foolishly led a rebellion in heaven against God, where he was defeated and kicked out. And Jesus briefly mentions this encounter with him in Luke 10, verse 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus knew that Satan existed and that he had rebelled in heaven and that he had been kicked out. And so in our passage this morning, Satan appears in the garden with one purpose. Satan has a purpose in this passage. And it's one thing, and that is to mar the glory of God. That is to mar the glory of God by destroying his crowning jewel, mankind. That was his purpose then, and that is his purpose today. And Jesus says in John 10.10, speaking of Satan, he says the thief comes. This is his purpose, to steal to kill, and to destroy. And we need, listen, we need to understand that we have an adversary. We have an adversary who hates God. He primarily hates God. And he hates us because we were created in the image of God. And so he continues to attack us so that he might pervert that image that is in us. And that's why Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy. He's been defeated. But we need to understand this. He's still dangerous. And we need to be on guard, and we need to know how to resist him. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning in this passage studying 
and learning the strategies that are in this passage of Satan. They're not new. The strategies that he used in this passage are the same strategies that he uses today in our lives. And so I want us to take some time and study this and see how we can also defend ourselves against his attacks. And if you're taking notes, I've got three observations that I want to point out of how the tempter tempts us. How the tempter tempts us. And the first one is that he tempts us to doubt God's word. Verse 1 again from the beginning says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice, notice how the serpent begins. He begins subtly by bringing into question God's word. That's how he begins his attack on us. He goes, did God actually say this? Now, up to this point, God's word has not been uh, challenged at all. If you remember, when God speaks, whatever he says, let there be, it happens. And then God looks at it, and it's good. But in this chapter, the serpent asks the first question recorded in the Bible. This is the first question recorded in the Bible. And you know, asking questions is not necessarily a bad thing, okay? I want you all to hear me on that. Asking questions can be a good thing if you're asking in order to know the truth. There is a good way to ask if you're wanting to know the truth because Jesus doesn't want us to just, you know, stand and salute the flag and to follow him blindly. He wants us to engage our minds. And I hope you understand that, Reach Life Church, that we want to be a church that is open, that is not afraid of asking questions. Because God is truth. And if you're truly seeking the truth, Jesus says you will come to him. In Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, this is what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so we want to be a church that is open to people asking hard questions. It's not necessarily wrong to ask questions, but you can ask questions in a way, or they can be asked in order to plant seeds of doubt and make us suspicious of God. And that's what's going on in this passage with the, with the evil one. Notice that how he asks the question. Did God actually say, and look what he says. He says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Is that what God said? No, it is not. Let's look at uh, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This is what God said. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. The enemy said that God said, you can't eat of any of them. He goes to an extreme with God. And puts that in, in, in Eve's mind. But the truth is that he said, you may, eat of, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. This commandment is a, a commandment of blessing. God wants his people to enjoy that which he has created. And then he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
The scheme of the evil one is to produce in us doubt and suspicion. And so he omitted the blessing when he asked the question. And he focused on the the one prohibition. The one prohibition that brought into question the goodness of God. He's attacking the goodness of God. That's what he does in our minds. God isn't good. Look what he's not allowing you to have or allowing you to do. One tree. Millions of other opportunities. One tree. I like what Tony Evans says about this. He says, just like any excellent military commander, Satan has a battle plan. One way he does his job well in defeating you is by distracting you. He tries to take your focus off the truth and put it on what you see and experience instead. Just like he did with Eve in the garden, Satan wants you to dismiss the value of the trees you have permission to eat and enjoy while instead fixating on the one you don't. He wants you to forget all of God's blessing and focus on what you believe to be your lack. Satan tries to divert your gaze from God's goodness because he knows the only way the only way to defeat you is through deception. And the point I want us to see here is that Satan seeks to defeat us by using doubt to make us question the goodness of God. We need to understand that. He wants you to question, is God good? So how does Eve respond to this? I want to look at this, how Eve responds, and study this for just a second. There's three things I want to point out about Eve's response. In verse 2, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Is that what God said? Kind of. Okay, so what I'm what I've done in the next slides is I'm gonna go through what God said and put under it what Eve how Eve says what God said, okay? So number one, God said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That word surely means, man, I want you to. I want you to, I want you to enjoy these, this fruit, this garden. Eve says, doesn't put the word surely in there. She appears to minimize and miss the gracious provision of the Lord. Secondly, it says, God said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That's what the command was. Do not eat from the tree. What does Eve say? You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Good. Then she adds something to God's word. Neither shall you touch it. That's not what God said. So she's adding to the word of God. We've got to be careful. Do not add to the word of God. Don't add more commandments to to ourselves than God himself has given. Thirdly, God said, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What's he saying there? He's saying there's no doubt. If you eat from that fruit, You are going to die. Done. I'm telling you the truth. Don't touch it. Don't touch that stove. You're going to get burned. 
What does Eve say? She says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, lest you die. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but that word lest has the connotation of there's a possibility that you could die. She actually downplays the severe consequences of disobeying God. There's three things that she does here. And because she doesn't have a firm grip on God's word, Satan was in the position to lead her into doubt. And after we begin to doubt God's word, Satan takes a second step. The tempter tempts us to, number two, deny God's word. And if you're writing these down, you might want to write next to deny God's word that doubting leads to denying. Doubting is the doorway into denying. Verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See his tactic that the, that the enemy uses here? Number one, he denies God's word by seeking to, to convince Eve that there's no consequences for her sin. That, that you're going to get away with this if you do this. And that's what he does today. He tries to convince us that we're not going to be accountable to anyone. But it is written... God's word says in Romans 14, 12, each of us, listen to this, each of us will give an account of himself to God. The word of God teaches that there is a day that we will give an account for our lives that we lived. And there are consequences for the way that we live our lives, good and bad. Number two, he denied God's word by seeking to, get, to convince Eve that God was withholding something from her. He was you know, trying to keep them down. And so once Satan was able to get Eve to doubt God's word and then to deny that there were consequences and then convince her, you know what? He's not giving you everything. He's holding something back from you. The final step was to lead her to disobey God's word. That's the final step. The tempter will tempt you to doubt God's word, deny God's word, which will lead you to finally disobey God's word. And in verse 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. We see that instead of walking by faith, Eve chooses to walk by sight. Now, you might be saying, well, what are you talking about walking by faith? Well, up until this point, God had said, do not eat of this fruit, because if you do, you will die. She had no idea what that meant, really, to die, because nothing had ever died at this point in the garden. So she needed to trust God that whatever he's warning her against, 
she didn't want to partake of. And so she did not walk by faith. She looked at the tree and saw that it was good. She saw that it was good for food. It's good, in other words, it's good for the body. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It, was, it made her feel good when she looked at it. Her emotions, it was good for her emotions. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It was good for her mind, her intellect. But just because something appears to be good, just because something appears to be good for you physically, emotionally, and mentally, listen, if God forbids it, if God forbids it, we need to understand it is not for our good. It will bring death. But the enemy wants to convince you otherwise, right? He wants to convince you that that doesn't apply to you. That's for everybody else maybe, but not in your situation. Somehow you're going to be able to live your life around God's commandment And in the end, it's going to work out for good. Don't let the enemy tell you that God's not good and that he's keeping something from you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because Psalms 8, 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen to this. No good thing. No good thing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold from, the, from those who walk uprightly. You see that? That is the word of God. And we have a choice to believe Satan, our flesh, this world that speaks lies to us, or we can believe the truth, the word of God, where God says, trust me, I love you. I have your best interest in mind. I will not hold, withhold anything good for you, good for you, if you'll walk uprightly, if you'll trust me, if you'll walk with me. And we have to make decisions every single day if we're going to believe this or not. And so Satan, just as a review, Satan convinced Eve that God was lying to her, that there would be no negative consequences for her sin, and that God was keeping something from her. She was deceived. And it says that she reached out her hand, took it, and ate, and gave it to her husband who was with her. Now, Eve was deceived, but 1 Timothy 2.14 says that Adam wasn't. Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. And I've heard a sermon one time that was preached that, well, why did Adam do that? And uh, the sermon basically said something to the effect that Adam you know, saw his wife, he loved her so much, he didn't want her to be alone, so he joined in, and they kind of like romanticize what what Adam did. But I want to be very clear that the scriptures never applaud Adam for doing what he did. Never is he um, encouraged or are we encouraged by his rebellion. He took the fruit willingly, he rebelled against God, and this is what he said, In his heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like God. I'm following the serpent, is what he said. 
And so he took and rebelled against God. And verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened. Isn't that how it happens with sin? It promises you life. You take of the forbidden fruit, whatever that is, and then your eyes are opened. You realize God was right. It does bring death. And then it says, and they knew that they were naked. They became aware of themselves. I'm sure that they were filled with shame and condemnation and despair. And what do you think the serpent was doing? I bet you his message changed, didn't it? From, you're not going to die, to, look what you just did. How could you have done that? Shame on you. You say you love God. You're going to die. That is what the enemy does to us. He lures us in, gives us promises that are contrary to God's word. And if we don't resist him and we give into it, we end up hearing the reverse once we have partaken of the forbidden fruit. And so in their shame, it says that they sewed fig leaves. They're, they're trying to cover themselves, and they made themselves loincloths. And you know, you know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of man's religions, man's religion apart from God. Man trying to, to cover up his shame through the work of his own hands. And the question I want to go back to is what we started with is why is there so much evil and brokenness in the world? Well, this is the reason right here. This is why. And it's not because the devil sinned. And it's not because the devil made them do it. The devil can't make you do anything. He can tempt you. But in the end, it's your choice on what you do. And because Adam deliberately chose to rebel against God, Scriptures say that he brought death into the world and sin entered into the world. And so the question I would want to ask us this morning or try to answer this morning is how are we to fight back? How do we fight against the enemy? Well, there's a lot of places I could have gone to in the Scriptures, but as I thought about it, um, I thought, well, how did Jesus, how did Jesus fight the evil one? How did the Son of God fight against Satan, the perfect one? Well, the answer to this is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You know, it says that Jesus was baptized before this by John the Baptist, and when he came out, up out of the water, what did he hear from heaven? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. God spoke from heaven, the Word of God from heaven. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And it says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one, by the devil. Just as Eve was tempted in the garden, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the evil one. And here's what Satan says to him. If you are the Son of God, do this. If, if you're really the Son of God, in other words, he's saying this, did God really say 
that you are the Son of God? Did he really say that you're the one in whom he is well pleased? And so he tries to tempt Jesus to obey him and to serve him instead of God. And and how does Jesus overcome him? It's the same way that we're going to defeat him and overcome him. Now, you need to understand something. He didn't, uh, if you read the passage, he doesn't try to reason with, with Satan. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't try to use some wisdom of his own. It says that three times he boldly declares, it is written. And then he takes from, from his scripture bank that he had in his heart, that he had hidden in his heart, and he speaks the word of God and the truth to the evil one. He overcame doubt and temptation with the word of God, not the word of man, not some cool quote that he saw on Facebook. It was the word of God that he overcame him. And we need to understand that the battle, the battle against Satan begins in the mind. That's where it begins. He begins with lies, speaking lies. So we have to have truth. Truth is what combats lies in our minds. But if you don't have truth up here, if we don't have the word of God up here, then the lie will take hold and it will go make its way down into our hearts. And it's from the heart that we make our actions, right? So we need to make sure that we are in the word of God up here with our minds, understanding it. But we don't want to just to stay up there. We ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, cause that word to come into my heart in a way that brings life and power. That's what the word of God is meant to do. And that is where our defense is, is by knowing and believing the word of God. And you know, when God gave the commandment in the garden, it's interesting. Have you ever, have you ever thought about this? Why didn't he like put this iron fence in front of, around the tree? Have you ever thought about that? Or when the, the serpent is sitting there talking to Eve, was God there? Yeah, he was. Now, it, it, when you're reading it, it, you may forget that he, but he's, he knows what's going on. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows, he knew what was happening. Why didn't he just go and just <laughs> stop it? He could have done that. Have you ever thought about that? Aria, they really aren't very loud this morning. Well, here's what this passage, I believe, is, is meant to reveal to us. It, it shows us the heart of God. He wants us to love him. There's no question about that. God wants us to love him. But he doesn't want us to love him because we're afraid of him. That we're afraid he's going to cast us into hell. That's not why he wants us to love him. Now, we are to fear God, a healthy fear, but not afraid like, okay, I'll come to you, Lord, because I don't want you to beat me. That is not God. God is good. Now, if you have that, that view of God, let me tell you, that's not from God. Because God is good. He wants us to come to him, not because we're afraid of him, or because he forced us to come to him. I believe that the reason that he didn't stop it was because he wanted to give man that freedom to love him. Not because they were forced. Not because they were afraid. 
but because they believed his word, that they believed he's good, and that he has our best interest in mind. And that is the God that we want to proclaim. Now, there are consequences for sin. We don't want to deny that. We don't want to cheapen grace and just sin and do it. No, that's not. There is consequences for sin. But first, we must understand that God is good and that he wants us to come to him. He wants to, no matter what state we're in, he wants us to come to him. We need to understand that first. Secondly, this passage teaches us why we need a Savior. This is why Jesus had to come to earth. Because Adam and Eve rebelled against God and got captured by the serpent. Jesus had to come to reclaim that which had been taken away from mankind. That's why he's called the second Adam. God said, if you eat from the fruit, you're going to die. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sins shall die. And then in Isaiah 53, he says, we all like sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all taken of the forbidden fruit, haven't we? Therefore, we deserve death. But the rest of Isaiah 53, 6 says, But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God, we have a Savior. God has a plan. And next week, Lord willing, if he tarries, and we're here next week, we're going to look at how he begins to unfold his plan of salvation. So I hope you'll be with us next week. But I want to make sure we understand something. Satan is defeated. Not by us, but by the one that we sang about this morning. He is defeated. He knows it, and he knows it. I want to encourage you. Praise God. Praise him for that. Praise you, Lord. Because he, Satan hates it when we praise God. I like to, I don't pray to Satan. I, I'm no match for Satan. But I do stick my tongue out at him when I'm in Jesus. <laughs> I praise God. I'm like, Lord, I praise you that, you know, Satan, he thought he had you. But you crushed his teeth. You tricked him. He put his own sword in his own heart when he tried to kill the Son of God. I boast, we need to boast in Jesus. Because when we do that, even as I'm doing it right now, there's life. There's hope, right? And that's what we want to keep pointing our, each other to. Because when we see that hope, we're not going to be like, okay, I'll follow you, God, because I don't want the consequences of my sin. We I want to follow you because you're good and you satisfy my heart and you create you put you bring me back to what I was created for. And that was to know you, to glorify you and to, to know one another.